You're listening to Do That Well with your hosts, Brenda Brown and Karen Thrall, a podcast about real experiences and how to turn them into life lessons. Unscripted, honest, funny, genuine, and passionate. A series of conversations where we explore every aspect of human interaction and provoke each other to do life well. Thanks for tuning in. Today, we're going to continue our conversation that we began on our podcast last week, where we explore different words that existed in the ancient Greek vocabulary that described love. So if you'll recall, we're just going over a few of the words that exist, but there are many that exist outside of what we're exploring in our two episodes on this topic. We are just going to go ahead and jump right in. Last week, we went through four, and we're going to go through four more today, starting with ludus, which is a playful love. So ludus is a childlike and flirtatious love that's commonly found in the beginning stages of a relationship. Some might call it the honeymoon stage. This type of love consists of teasing, playing, motives, and laughter between two people. Although it is common in younger couples, older couples who strive for this kind of love can often find a more rewarding relationship. The love catalyst for Ludus is astral, which is emotional. Your emotions allow you to feel giddy, excited, interested, and involved in another person. And ways that you can show Ludus are to flirt and engage in whimsical conversation, spend time together laughing, having fun, and exemplifying childlike behaviors together. That's great. I have so many thoughts on this one. (laughs) This is one of my favorites. This is one of my favorites expression of love. So when I was six years old, I, I... uh, there was a guy in the sixth grade. So I was in the first grade, and the guy in the sixth grade, Francois. I, I, I went to a little Quebec school and um, elementary school, and I did. I had such a crush on him. And then he came on the bus one day, and I was singing, looking out the window, and he said, "Oh bonjour, ma blonde." And he was like, "Or oh c'est joli, ma blonde," which means, "Oh that's pretty." your singing's pretty or whatever. My girlfriend, my blonde is my girlfriend. And I was like, oh, what? And, and I, that moment of crush, I crush, I was crushing on him. And it was so innocent and so pure. And I felt all like Twitter pated, <laughs> as they say in Bambi movie. And, um, and I just, it was just the best feeling in the world. And it was I reflecting on crushing and this, this puppy love. It is actually a very pure thing. Because when I was six years old, I, it, I, it just made me feel so good. And there was a form of a little bit of flirtiness, but it was so pure. And I remember, um, I remember learning as I, you know, as I aged that this whole thing of having a crush on somebody is not dangerous. It's not a bad thing. It's part of the chemistry that happens between people. And it's a really good chemistry. And I would like to see that whimsical playfulness in men and women be more ignited because it isn't threatening. And I I think we don't teach it enough that this crush, this feeling of having a crush on somebody. And I find I use that word very casually, like, oh, I'm totally crushing on you right now because I'm admiring or I'm liking or I, it's the, the energy. I'm really enjoying the energy. So this is one of my favorites, this Ludus thing. And I would love to see it happen more. And, and because it is a pure form, it's actually, it is a pure part of connection chemistry with others. 
There's my there's my two cents. Two cents. <laughs> uh, two things. I yeah. first off, I really appreciate that you called it puppy love because that is immediately where my mind went when I first read this one. I was just like, oh my gosh, this is the definition of what I consider puppy love. This like okay. those excited feeling. Okay, but here's the thing. Then it was you that said it because oh, I was <laughs> thinking puppy love, and I was like. Where did, and you must have you told me or must have you said it somewhere in our note taking and so I just took your I just stole your thunder <laughs> I didn't mean to <laughs> no that's, that's yes great. Brenda gets credit for that because that's where I saw it, it was on her <laughs> notes <laughs> well I do think it is a nice way to to it summarize is. it yeah and the second thought that I just had of what you were saying. You, when you said that uh, you'll sometimes find yourself saying things like, oh, I have a crush on you right now. I think that I've actually heard you. I feel like you've maybe even said that to me at some point because you liked, you know, something I was doing, a trait or something. And what I really like about that is when I first was reading about Ludus and the definition of this particular kind of love, I was actually really centering it within the context of romantic love. But I like that ludus is something that you could also experience in a non-romantic, in a more platonic way, because mm-hmm. it is more of that playful uh, energy and exchange. Yeah. So yes. I really well, I, enjoy that. I remember listening to an interview uh, from Anthony Mangella, who's the director of Cold, is it Cold Mountain? And um, the talented Mr. Ripley. So I've, I've he, seen those. I don't know who. Yeah. <laughs> so Anthony Mangella is the director there, and he talked about crushing. That was his thing. And he's talked about how, um, and you and I have had actually this conversation because I remember it. It might be in, in an old podcast too, because this is how much I love this topic. But he would, when he was preparing for Talented Mr. Ripley, it was Gwyneth Paltrow, it was uh, Jude Law, it was Matt Damon, and he would wait for that feeling of a crush when they, when people were auditioning, he needed to know he, he was crushing on them in that character. Like he had a crush on, and when the way he described it, I was like, I love that. It's just this thing. And, and he just would light up and go, yes, you're the one. Cause he had that, you know, it's the same when I was a little girl and Francois said my blonde to me on the school bus, you know, it's like, and it's very special. It's something really special happening. And it creates a joy and a happiness and a whimsical. Like, I really like that word whimsical. It, it, when, you, when you're around someone, you feel sparkly when you're around them. Yes, definitely. But it's pure. It's pure. And so I have, this is where I want to talk about limerence from the last episode. Yes, okay. yeah. <laughs> so I remember back in the day when I was in therapy and I was really work, just going through a, a deep healing uh, time in my life. And it was... Uh, Dr. Patty Duclo from Vancouver, he taught me that word and it's called limerence. And it's actually chemistry. It's chemistry between two people. And it's like this igniting of chemistry, but it eventually calms down. And people mistake it as, um, uh oh, you know, am I. Am I falling away or am I am I in a, a tricky relationship? Like, am I doing something wrong, basically? But it's just a natural chemistry that happens that eventually subsides in about six to nine months. So if you think about people who get have this limerence moment and then they think it's true love and it doesn't last because it was a limerence. It wasn't true love. It was this chemistry, this igniting, this connection. But it fades away 
and you live on and you and you ride the wave and it just makes you feel alive and wow but that's not what true love is built on it's and so people mistake it as love when it's just a wonderful crushing moment or chemistry that's not meant to be more than that that's all it's meant to be so i wanted to tell you about that i thought it was the coolest thing and i remember thinking that is so cool because it happens because of our bodies, right? with the chemistry in our bodies, it, it's going to naturally happen. So I've had the opportunity of sharing this with so many people, and it really lightens it up. It, you don't feel like, oh, this isn't, this isn't bad or dangerous, or it's what you do with it. If you know, if if you entertain it and you turn it into um, eros, or you turn it into another form of expression, then you're on dangerous. But the actual thing of limerence is quite pure it's just chemistry igniting between two people so i wanted to tell you that and i was curious to see what you thought well what i think is fun about this for those of you that are only listening and not watching is karen you and i both we've we keep talking about a feeling and i feel like we've used this hand gesture like we're (laughs) like we feel it and we've both done that and and again with limerence you know talking about it being a chemical thing and it's, it's interesting. I think out of all of these, this one is the one that I think we've both really, like, it is a feeling. It is something mm-hmm. that you really feel in your body. Mm-hmm. It's like a, for me, I think of a, like I get a tingle in my fingertips almost oh. when I think of that, that feeling oh. of this playful, yeah. crushing yeah. Sort of state of being. Um, yeah. It's a very visceral reaction, which is interesting. And it's so complimentary. Like to say, oh my gosh, I'm totally crushing on you is a huge compliment. It, like the person you're saying it to is like getting it. Like, oh, oh, that's thanks. Like it, it's so complimentary. It's so heartwarming. It, it It's so positive. And it's, and again, I got to keep going back to, and it's so pure and that not to be afraid of that because it's a natural thing. It's what you do with it. You know how you entertain it, but if we can educate everybody, imagine having that—that that being relaxed around that igniting moment, like you were saying. You know, like I just—I think it's something that we can all benefit from, and not shy away from it or be afraid of it. I agree. Yeah, yeah. I I really like this one. Yeah, this I is, do too. This is a fun one. Yeah. Well, then, can we go here then? Let's talk about what do you think? What's your opinion? How do we encourage it? Like, what's missing in this ludus playful love? How do we ignite that? It's so different from eros or sexual attraction, and it's mm-hmm. so different from that. It, so, what would you say to people that f- are kind of like listening to us, going, "Hmm, I don't know," or 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 they're just right. Contemplating. My first thought, I have a couple thoughts. (laughs) Surprise, surprise. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) One of my thoughts, which does go back to what you were talking about a moment ago, is this idea that I think Ludus is something that can easily be interpreted as something else or it can easily shift into a different place. So when I think of Ludus, it's a very hopeless romantic sort of way of being in my mind. This is the way that I'm viewing it. And it reminds me a lot of 
the model that you'll see in movies sometimes. So mm-hmm. I'm thinking of, you know, a classic right. like Romeo and Juliet. There's these two mm-hmm. young kids. And even though they're from different worlds, they just, they have this energy. There's something that's connecting them. They're drawn to another one another. But then see how quickly that degraded and it, it be, or digressed, I should say. And it became like this obsessive, unhealthy, <laughs> like there was so much more there. And I know that we are going to talk about obsessive love in just a moment. So I'll save that thought. Um, but that's one of the places my mind goes for this is with Ludus, I think it can be difficult to really sit within that feeling, that playfulness, that crushing, that limerence without convincing yourself it's something, oh, something well else. Said. Wow. And then I, I, yes, to well go said. along with that thought, I can't help but wonder if that just has to do with the way that our society models relationships for us. Wow. Wow. Because we don't have 20 words to describe love like the ancient Greeks did. We have like love. And so, <laughs> you know, and and so I can't help but wonder if we just need to re assess or reevaluate the way that we interpret like what is love what is a relationship what does that look mm-hmm. like in our lives if if we allow ourselves to shed away what society is telling us it needs to be mm-hmm. so good <laughs> oh man so good because you're right like these rom-coms i i meet you on a monday and i marry you on a friday Right. Like, oh, this is love. And it's all limerence. It's chemistry. It's everything you want. Like it's all the whimsical and the laughter and the romance and all that. But what is it a year from now? And you play it out like that limerence is either going to make you amazing friends or it's going to move you into romantic love or move you into uh uh, long life love, you know, and uh, but so I like what you're saying. Like we are trained to think, oh, this is true love. Mm-hmm. But if you let the wave settle, and and just when it gets what, so the waters, you get into deeper waters with the person. And what I like about Ludus too is what it said that like you want that in your long term relationship. You don't right. want it to go away. You just have to decide: is this love or is this just really fun chemistry and I think we dive too quickly assuming it's love and I that's what I was hearing you say so I thought that was wow definitely yeah and if we can I do want to introduce our next one obsessive love because we've both sort of touched on it at this point (laughs) Um, so our next one is mania which is obsessive love So mania is an obsessive love towards a partner. It can lead to unwanted jealousy, possessiveness, also known as codependency. Most cases of obsessive love are found in couples that have an imbalance of love towards one another. Um, Eros, you'll remember, is our romantic love. So in an an imbalance of Eros and then Ludus, which we just talked about, is the main cause of mania when those things aren't in balance. Wow. And with healthy levels of playful and romantic love, so with healthy levels of playful, ludus, and romantic, eros love, the harm of obsessive love can usually be avoided. So the love catalyst for this one is our survival instinct, because our survival instinct drives a person to desperately need their partner in order to find some sense of self-value. And according to our article, uh, how ways that you can avoid mania is to recognize obsessive or possessive behavior before actually acting upon it, focusing more on yourself versus another person, and putting trust into your relationships. Hmm. Hmm. 
I do. This is interesting. Um, I, it, I'm, I'm happy that in the ancient Greek love, there is one that is dangerous. I think that's really healthy. I don't know if we do that in the English language. Mm -hmm. Ta I, there, there is love to be aware of, and that's obsessive love, and it's unhealthy. It's toxic. Um, it could borderline be abusive because it becomes controlling and possessive. That's, that's a hard conversation to have. There are so many expressions of love. This is the one that would be a warning bell. This is the warning bell. I did remember, again, going back to years of, back in the days of some intense therapy, which was awesome. I learned something else, and I'm wondering if this might fit in here, and just curious to see what you think. If you picture yourself as a ring, like a circle, and your partner is a circle, unhealthy, toxic relationship is when one ring is inside the other ring. So if you are a circle, your partner's a circle, and one circles within the other circle, that is one person relinquishing or one person not participating in the love at all. Uh, sometimes submission, like where there's a teaching, a strong teaching of submission. Mm -hmm. And so the, the person loses their identity because they, they are submissive to the other person. Um, and or, or there's an element of control. This relationship is going to be this way. And so they become accommodating or they're very um, uh, uh, flexible and they just, again, lose themselves. And it was so fascinating when he was sharing with this with me about this is the this is a toxic form of love. So I thought of mania. I went, I wonder if that's kind of in the category of mania. Mm -hmm. And what he says is healthy love is when these two circles they intertwine, they interconnect. Yeah. So you have two circles. And in that little section, that is where your connection, because you don't ever lose yourself when you are in love. The, when you're in a loving, healthy relationship, you don't lose who you are. You, you who you are only excels and grows and your independence only excels and grows because you're, you're growing with this partner and you're interconnected and his or her strengths will become your strengths. And, and in, and, and vice versa. So I wondered what you thought about that. Like this thing of calling us, don't, you're not supposed to lose yourself. So this is a really great warning, this mania portion of Greek, ancient Greek love. So pass mm -hmm. it back to you. I mean, I just am in such agreement with everything you just said. That was so well put. You know, this one actually, as you were describing your thoughts on it just now, it actually touches pretty deeply for me. It's mm. because um, to be very vulnerable with all of you for a moment, I actually did have a relationship in my past where I 100% lost who I was. It was this like mania, this obsessive love. I, you know, I really lost my sense of like value in myself. I felt like the only way that I was going to be whole was if this person loved me, like everything depended on getting love and attention from this person. And after that relationship, I really had to do a lot of work to rebuild mm -hmm. my thoughts and the way that I approached romantic relationships because I was bringing that like baggage with me to new things. Mm -hmm. And I really had to learn like 
how do we hold this? Like, how do we approach this dichotomy of being an individual and also being in a relationship? How do, how do you hold those two things at the same time? Because when you're in a relationship, you shouldn't lose yourself. It shouldn't become codependent. That's mm-hmm. this unhealthy, you know, mm-hmm. mania, like you're saying. So codependent. Yeah. Yeah. Codependent would be part of the mania. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Mm-hmm. And so I really like what you're saying, you know, this idea that there was this word to warn you against that exact yeah, behavior. Yeah, that amazing? And, yeah. you know, I, I think of, wow. I, my, my mind goes to movies again because yeah. I watch a lot of rom-coms and <laughs> I think again of this idea of how mania is actually something that you'll see exemplified in movies and depicted in movies all the time. You know, like how often do you see a movie where it's it's like an underdog story, right? Maybe there's the the nerdy boy and he's really pining for the girl next door who's like beautiful and it's like this obsessive love and he he continues to just like obsess over her. But then in a, oftentimes what happens in these storylines is that he ends up, you know, getting the girl somehow and they fall in love and it's it's supposed to be this like fairy tale happy ending. But that's so like actually not what you would want to have happen <laughs> in real oh, life because yeah. in real life this nerdy boy next door's obsession with the girl next door is actually really unhealthy it's mania it's obsession and it's not it's not limerence it's not ludos Mm -hmm. it's not anything beyond that yet we see this kind of modeled in movies and the end result again is Mm -hmm. well now there's romantic love now there's eros Mm -hmm. and so we're actually getting like very conflicting Mm -hmm. messaging we are wow well said brenda brenda that's so good that is so good. So it, this would be a great area to press reset. Um, it's interesting because I actually like the word obsession. Like I, li- I, like I like saying, oh, I'm obsessed with golf or, you know, and, but there's good words are good. Words are healthy and words are unhealthy. Like I can be self-controlled or I can be controlling, you know, so out of control. You know, sometimes it's used really well and sometimes it's used in a harmful way. So obsession in love, you don't need obsession to find love. You don't need to be obsessed and so into somebody so much that you can't eat. You don't actually have to do that. You can be crushing and, oh my gosh, I, I forgot to eat because I'm just so excited. But when we turn to obsession, okay, I got, here's a question for you. Oh, what about text messaging now and social media and Google and this thing of knowing everything we, like now we can actually uh, troll and look and sneak in and watch. And it, even social media can, can encourage mania love. Mm-hmm. And then yeah. you miss, you know, you hear these stories where they miss, they saw a post and they misread it and they found this and no, no. And so it's not, it isn't healthy. It doesn't mean you're loving the person. Right. So what would you, what would you say to somebody? Go, then what do I do? Like, how do I replace mania love? Maybe that's the self love that yes. we're going to get into. I okay. 100% would say that that's when you have to start focusing on yourself and loving yourself. And, you know, the the old cheesy saying, like, you can't love anyone until you love yourself comes to mind. Mm-hmm. Um, 
This is a great segue. Should we introduce yes, do it. our yes. next one? <laughs> yes. So the next one is self-love, which is Felicia? 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 This is the one that we posted a picture of on our Instagram if you've been following us. So this is a healthy form of love where you recognize your self-worth and you don't ignore your personal needs. Self-love begins with acknowledging your responsibility for your well-being. It's challenging to exemplify the outbound types of love because you can't offer what you don't have. So exactly what I was just saying. You can't love anyone until you love yourself. The love catalyst for this is your soul. It allows you to reflect on your necessary needs and physical, emotional, and mental health. And ways that you can show falausia is to create an environment that nurtures your well-being. Take care of yourself like a parent would care for a child. That particular sentence, like let's sit with that for a mm, minute. Okay. Take care of yourself like a parent would care for a child. Mm. I'll come back to this, but the idea of reparenting is like a huge theme in my life. And then spend time around people who support you. Mm. <laughs> like you. You're Yay. very supportive. Yay. <laughs> Oh, this is so good. See, I, I didn't know that Greek ancient love, ancient Greek love, I should say, had a category for self-love. And it makes sense. When they trained love, they wanted to make sure the student, the learner, understood all these sections of our lives. And they're all important and, and, and uh, to be mindful of and to be aware of. So the self-love... I did have another thought from back in my years in therapy. <laughs> um, two things. One is the whole thing of placating and blaming. Um, when you don't care for yourself and you choose to care for others over yourself, you're in. You're running the risk of becoming a placator, where you you start to only care for the other person's needs and making sure they're happy. And, and, but it, well, if I say this, will this make you happy? And, Oh, I'm sorry. I take responsibility for that. I should have done this. And I, I'm sorry for, I feel bad. Like we're, Oh, I, I won't do that. Cause that upsets you. You know, like this play cane is you, you start to serve the person's needs because you don't want them to be upset with you or you don't want to disappoint them. And the more you focus on, taking care of their needs, the more you're neglecting yourself and then you lose yourself because you're so more, way more focused on making everybody else happy that you now you don't even know who you are anymore. Mm -hmm. But that's toxic. And it gets, it gets, it's in the guise of servitude and sacrificial love and, you know, and making others more important. It, it, this selflessness, but it's not selflessness because you're losing yourself and let's make sure, and I know the, the next category we're doing is going to be talking about selfless love, but this is not selfless love when you, when you neglect yourself. You're not showing selfless love. Selfless right. love is when you're so confident in yourself that you give from that place of surplus. And that's what this one's talking about. Mm -hmm. The more you invest in yourself, the more of a gift you are to others because there's more you can offer. But when you stop investing in yourself, you're functioning from an empty tank and what you're giving is superficial. It's not real it's surface, it's, it's rules, it's shoulds, it's musts, it's whatever, but it's not authentically you. So that's mm -hmm. one thought I had. Mm -hmm. Yes, 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 yes. I'm going to, at the risk of sounding a bit like a broken record here, I know that I bring up this concept a lot in our podcast, but my mind takes me back to this like societal 
you know, this idea with like social media and society and that we're always having to put our best self forward. And I think sometimes that can get a little turned around in our brain where now we're really living for that external validation and we can't feel confident in ourselves unless we're like hearing it from an outside source. And it can be so easy to compare ourselves to other people. And it's the comparison thing that I'm broken recording. Uh, (laughs) But it can be so easy to just compare yourself to others. And you see these little snapshots of people's lives or you hear little snippets and you might think like, well, the person just has it so much better than me or like they're so much better looking or they're so much cooler or they're so much more learned or whatever it might be. And then all of a sudden these judgments just become like self-hatred and and it can be really challenging. This one was a huge struggle for me for a big part of my life. I was like 100% somebody that would live for external validation. And I think in a large part that played into the relationship that I had that was not amazing, as I mentioned earlier. Uh, <laughs> and so, you know, learning how to like love myself and reparent myself, mm-hmm. which I was talking about a moment ago as well, has been so integral for me to be able to find this Falausia, the self-love. <laughs> yeah. um, hey, you said earlier, uh, you, you read it twice, so I'm curious where you were going to go with it. The whole parent would yes. care for a child. What, 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 what is your thoughts there? So as I was saying, this idea of reparenting has actually been a really big theme for me in my life in the past few years, maybe longer. I don't know. I'm not a, always the best judge of time. But, you know... For myself, my mother um, growing up in Thailand, it's a different culture and love isn't shown in the same way. And so I think that was actually quite difficult for me growing up to see my friends around me that did not have immigrant parents, um, you know, parents that were from the United States. And so the culture is different. And Mm -hmm. it was really difficult for me to see friends like their moms would like take them out to go get their nails done as like a fun mother daughter activity, or Mm -hmm. they would hug a lot or whatever it may be, but that wasn't how my mom showed love. And so Mm -hmm. when I was a kid, I saw that example and I saw that I wasn't getting it. So now I kind of internalized this idea that I wasn't receiving love or that I wasn't being validated from my mother Mm -hmm. in some way. And so now as an adult, I'm having to go and like retrain myself to be Mm -hmm. able to understand and like accept love and to like reparent myself so that I'm loving myself versus feeling like I need to get it from my mother or anyone else. Mm -hmm. I know that my mom loves me. Like I'm I'm older now. I've worked through all that. I know my mom loves me, Mm -hmm. but it was the way that she, you know, she showed it differently. Mm -hmm. And because that wasn't the model I was seeing as a younger person, I didn't understand Um, but you know, I think reparenting in general is just something that a lot of people could probably really benefit from because all parents are just doing what they can. They're just Mm -hmm. humans. There's, I mean, there are plenty of handbooks on how to parent, but there's not like one, there's not a definitive guide for how to be an amazing parent. And so some of the stuff that your parents did when they were raising you, like, you might have some stuff. You might have some baggage because of the way that your parents raised mm-hmm. you. You might have some trauma. You might have whatever. And as an adult, you can make the choice to let go of that, recognize that your parents were just mm-hmm. parents, and then find ways that you can retrain and reparent yourself to become a more mm-hmm. full human. 
I, on that note, that's interesting because maybe the more you invest in self-love, the more, more you'll actually appreciate your parents because you take the expectation like it's the blaming thing again, placating or blaming, you know, you're either going to placate to please or blame and say it's your fault. Like, you know, hovering like that blaming thing. And I wonder if self-love, when you really invest in yourself, you start to have a different lens as well on how you were raised. Definitely. Because my memory with my dad, this was a major turning point in our relationship. And for me, I, it was transformational. And I was in Paris with a group of, of people and we went to the Louvre, my first time going to the Louvre. And I was in the French Impressionist. I could not leave the French Impressionist area. I couldn't leave it. I was just like smitten, crushing. <laughs> but it was overwhelming me. I, 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 the detail, the people, the expressions, I just, it was just on, on wonderful. So when I came home, I was talking to my dad and he was stationed in the army during a peaceful time in France. And on his days off, he'd go to the Louvre. And I didn't know that. So I was, he was asking me how my time was in France. And I said, oh, I went to, he said, did you go to the Louvre? I think is what he said. I said, yeah. And he goes, well, what was your favorite? And I said, the French Impressionist. He goes, me too. And I went, what? And then he says, you know, I used to go to the Louvre on my days off when I was stationed there and in the military. And I was like, what? And it was that moment I had a connection with mm -hmm. him, like, what, it, wait, what was that? And that the more I invested, see, I was, that time in the Louvre was really special for me. It really did something to me. I felt very awakened to the artist and creativity. And then I go talk to my dad. It turns out he was the same in the same building when he was in his 20s. Like, I, and I think that self-love, it opens opportunities to maybe connect with people in a different way. But if you're not self-loving, then it's a false you're, it, it is going to damage relationships. It, mm -hmm. it does. Well, maybe damage is too rough. I just know for me personally, the more I've invested in self-love, I just feel like the more love I have to offer. And um, so I'm going to stop there. But <laughs> <laughs> No, and I tend to agree with you um, just from what I've experienced in my own life and from some of our cheesy sayings that we've brought in, just again, this idea that you can't love others until you love yourself. And I know mm -hmm. we've, I think we've talked a bit about emotional tank before in the past as well. Yes. And again, it's this idea that if you aren't like functioning at full emotional capacity, then how are you supposed mm -hmm. to show up for somebody else? Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. One little tip that I will kind of throw out here, because this has been something that's really helped me be able to find more self-love for myself and find like less places where I might judge myself or be mean to myself <laughs> is I'll think about whether or not I would offer love or judge somebody else for the same reason that I might not be giving myself that love. So for example, would I go out and judge someone or not love them because of their body weight? No, absolutely. I would never do that. I would just accept mm -hmm. them and I would give them mm -hmm. my love regardless of their body weight. Mm -hmm. So now can I take that same idea and apply it to myself? Like, mm -hmm. can I just love myself no matter what body weight I'm at? Mm -hmm. Probably. Mm -hmm. If I can do it for someone else, I can do it for myself. Yeah. So good. Okay. I'm going to tag that. Um, in golf, golf exposes 
it's quite extraordinary. When you play golf, you're, who you are gets exposed. So the struggles and fears I have in my real life are seen on the golf course. Mind-blowing. And the golf lovers can all relate because we really identify. There was one time I was golfing. I was really disappointed in myself. This is one of my early days of golfing. I was so mad at myself because I failed. It's just, I failed. And I said to myself, all right, I'm going to let you say whatever you want to say to yourself right now. I I did that. I'm going to let you say whatever you want to say to yourself right now. And I, you should have heard the berating. I started berating myself. I'm so sick and tired. And I just, and I just let it, I just want to see what else is in there. And I just let myself just foul talk to myself so rudely and disrespectfully and unlovingly with hate and judgment. It was just gross. And I went, well, there you are. I remember mm-hmm. thinking this because I was playing alone. I just went by myself. So it was very meditative in some ways, contemplative. I go, there you are. So that lives in you. Huh? Hmm. Does that really live inside you? And it was so sad. I felt so sad that I really had these thoughts about me. So it exposed stuff. So when I listened to you, like, I'm like, wow, these just self-judgment, the opposite of self-love is these judgments we say to each other. That's got to go. Got to get rid of that. So I want to, I really like what you said, Brenda. <laughs> well, and I appreciate that you shared that as well, because my mind also goes to like listening to you hear that, listening to you tell that story I think that there also is something to be said for allowing yourself to have those moments sometimes. Like Mm -hmm. sometimes it can be okay to unleash or have like a pity party for yourself. (laughs) But I think that as long as you're like working through it and processing it and understanding, like like you said to yourself, oh, okay, so that lives inside me. Like there it is. Yeah, yes. So it was a moment of recognizing as well. And in that recognition, you are – allowing yourself to process it and move through it. And I do think that those moments are important as well in our, uh, you know, in our venture towards self-love. I think that it's, I think it can be very therapeutic to have some of these moments where you do really look at all of the ways that you perhaps are not giving yourself self-love so that Mm -hmm. you can try and understand where that's coming from and, Mm -hmm. And just know that it exists because you can't work through it if you don't even know it's there. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Because I didn't know. I just want to like, because I could feel how frustrated I was. I'm like, go, go for it. You're alone. Nobody can hear you. And I just went off and I was so sad. Like, like even now I could choke up because I'm going back to the memory. It's like, wow, that is so sad that I would feel that way about myself. And it was really, really berating. And it just showed you where I was at. And there was a lot of broken pieces in me at that time. And and those broken pieces were creating these narratives of unworthiness, really. Right. Um, which, let's go into the next one because I have something. That's a good segue to the yeah. next one. Okay. Selfless love. So our last uh, word that we'll be exploring from the ancient Greek love vocabulary is, and I'm probably not going to say this correctly, agape, which is selfless love. So agape is the highest level of love to offer. It's given without any expectation of receiving anything in return. Offering agape is a decision to spread love in any circumstance, including destructive situations. 
Agape is not a physical act. It is a feeling. However, acts of love can elicit agape since self-monitoring can lead to results. And the love catalyst for agape is your spirit because it creates higher or it creates purpose bigger than yourself and it motivates you to pass kindness on to others. And according to our handy dandy article, how you can show agape is to dedicate your life to improving the lives of others, stay conscious of your actions for the good of humankind, or offer your time and charity to someone in need. The first thing I have is this is the one that it's not about me. It's about you. These are what history pages are made of. These are what like our heroes. That's like we, we if you look at movies. There's a selfless act that it didn't benefit them, but it benefited other people. And I think this is the one that is very inspiring because it is so warm when someone goes out of the way or someone does something, a kind gesture, unannounced, unexpected. It, you can't help but be drawn to it. And because it's not about me, it's about you. Mm-hmm. And that that is beautiful. And I, I think um, sometimes I feel like we use that word unconditional love too relaxed because some things are conditional. Mm-hmm. And this one is just simple, like this is just not about me right now. This is solely about you and that's okay with me. Mm-hmm. And I That makes it so simple. You know, because it it's hard. Like, I think it's unrealistic for us to think that we can give perfect love all the time. I think we have moments of giving perfect love, but we are flawed and perfect people. So I don't, I, I think it's a very unrealistic for us to put ourselves at a standard where to give perfect love. But what can we do? We can actually have moments in our day where I go, this is not about me. This is about you. And I'm perfectly happy with that. That we can do. That makes it tangible. And when you gave your examples about this dedication to improving the lives of others and Mm -hmm. that's all, it's not about me. It's about you. That's my two cents. I like that. I, and I, I like this distinction that it's very simple. It doesn't need Mm -hmm. to be complicated. It's just like, can I serve you? Mm -hmm. My mind goes to this place. So generally in my life, I like to think that I, I try to stay positive. I I try to lead with love, as it were. That was in quotes for those of you that are only listening and not watching. (laughs) Um, But I know I've been seeing this thing crop up on social media and my mind kind of went here with this one. This idea of toxic positivity. Have you heard of this, Karen? So there's this idea, toxic positivity, it's the belief that no matter how dire or how difficult a situation is, that people should maintain a positive mindset. So it's like a good vibes only approach to life. Um, And the the skepticism that people have with toxic positivity or is that it can lead you to not deal with things that are more difficult. So you might deny yourself or you might deny others, you might deny emotions that are being had because you're in this like toxic positivity place. And for me, like, I don't ever want people to think that I don't struggle or that I can't be relatable because it's just simply not true. I totally get you. Yeah. <laughs> I, I hear you so loud right now. Yep. However, I do really think that we can focus on this idea of, you know, staying conscious of our actions for the good of humankind. That was one of the things that the article Mm -hmm. suggests. Remember that being like positive 
may not actually be what's needed in a particular scenario. And that is staying conscious. So Mm -hmm. where am I going with this? I suppose what I'm trying to say is that with this one, I just really think about this idea of how can we approach life not with toxic positivity, positivity, but how can we approach it in a way that we just are not having hatred? Mm-hmm. Like, can you find the space to disagree with somebody, dislike their worldviews, maybe not even like them, but still like hold mm-hmm. love for them? Mm-hmm. Love in in quotes. How can but how can you just allow them to be and not have to hold? any sort of ill will towards that person. And that's that's where my mind goes with this idea of agape. Like, can we forge relationships in our lives with people that we have nothing in common with? And it does not a traditional relationship necessarily, but can you just have, can you allow that person to be? And can you still show <laughs> compassion towards them, even if, you don't get along. Mm-hmm. Um, I think mm-hmm. to the election that happened recently, and my father and I had very avu- opposing viewpoints. And I won't go into who who thought what. We'll just leave it there. Well, we had very av- opposing viewpoints when it came to the election, and there was like so much hatred going on in the world pre-election. Right? There was like people mm-hmm. saying they hate Trump or they hate Biden or whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. And it's very, it was a very polarizing uh, situation mm-hmm. that happened. Mm-hmm. And for me, I really had to sit down with myself and think to myself, okay, even though I really like hate my father right now, I never didn't hate him, but I vehemently disagreed with his viewpoints. But I still wanted to be able to love him because he's my father. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to be able to still show him compassion and care and love, even though we weren't getting along because of what was happening. And this idea of there's so much hatred and there's so many ways in which humans really get pitted against one another. Like, can I be one other person in the world that is just trying to bring light and love? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I do. That's uh, wow. I'm I'm quiet because I'm very um, drawn to what you're saying here. And so I actually wish I had a moment to pause, but we're on podcast, (laughs) so I can't. (laughs) Oh, I have so many thoughts here. Yes. I, I, I can, I'm going to tag what you're saying. Um, I, I don't need things to anger me. I can feel sad about them, but I, I don't need them to anger me because if I let them anger me, I will put a wall up or I will say things that will reflect my anger. Mm-hmm. Um, I will take maybe matters into my own hands, whatever the expression is. But when I'm saddened by something, I feel more myself. Like I, I, I go, oh, this is so sad. 
it's not how I, it's not what I, the life I want to live in. And I find in 2021, I made some very, very strong commitments that I, I'm not entertaining anger anymore. None. Because, and doing this episode, I'm really inspired. You know, it's crazy, Brenda, because I'm talking to Corey about what you and I are talking about, but it's sticking with me and, but we're the ones talking. (laughs) So I was like, it's so weird, but it's very, it's causing me to really reflect on very different aspects. And so it's actually quite cathartic. And, uh, but one of the things is I may not have the same core values, but I will still love you. When we did that whole thing, Mm -hmm. I, on family, I, I don't have the same core values. I don't, but that's okay. You know, I don't, I don't need to bring anger into it. I, I'm going to, you know, I don't know what I'm trying to say. I just think that's what I've been working on is I'm, I'd rather just feel a sadness than to allow it to cause anger. And I think that helps me to stay in others focused by just Mm -hmm. switching the emotion to a sadness. But I can really, I'm hearing you. I'm hearing you. Yeah. That makes so much sense to me though, this idea of sadness, because I'm in my mind, I'm comparing that or it's synonymous with compassion mm-hmm. is the way that I'm, yeah. I'm hearing. Yes. That's like yes. what I'm hearing you say without yes. those words being said uh, is like, can you just hold compassion? Can you just hold space? Can it become something other than anger? Yeah. And, and I think that, you know, I think that's a challenge. Uh Wow, I'm really on a society kick today, but society <laughs> really will have us believe that we have to think in black and whites, that we have to think yeah. in these yeah. binaries, that we have to we have to be a Republican or we have to be a liberal. We need to be, you know, this or that. You need to be male, yeah. you need to be female. And it doesn't allow for a whole lot of like nuance or spectrum, um, it being society. It doesn't. And I really love, even in my lifetime, that we've been seeing people start to open up more and we are starting mm-hmm. to have in younger generations people that are holding more space that are allowing for nuance they're allowing for spectrum and a i'm seeing a lot more acceptance and a lot more of this agape in in the younger generations and yeah. so it gives me a lot of hope mm-hmm. um but i do think it's a challenge how can you find it how can you get rid of the hatred? How can you get rid of the the anger or feel it, but then work through it? Right. So that you're just holding space mm-hmm. for others. Uh, yeah. And I wanted to go back to this toxic positivity because I do see the cup half full. And if you're to ask me, how am I? I want to tell you the areas I'm grateful for. I'm not going to be somebody who's going to tell you my hardships. You'll have to ask another question for that one. Mm-hmm. So I, I am somebody who is, wants to see the best. And I like that part of me. And that's the other thing, too, is going back to the anger versus sadness. I like seeing the best. It, it really – I mean, that's what I do for a living. I, it, I, every time I coach a leader, I'm so energized – because I get to invest in their best. It's like the best feeling in the world. And to just watch the lights go on and this aha moments and the empower, like you just see and off they go and they go conquer the world. To me, I'm wired that way. And um, 
and maybe that's maybe that is a form of agape. I don't know. When I when I want your best to be the best, like when I it's not about me right now, it's about your best, Brenda. You know, and yeah, I think when, I definitely when I, think that falls into agape. Agape, yeah. like, but I never thought that way because agape is such a grandiose word. Like, it's just so out there. Right. But you, like, when you said earlier, we can simplify it. We can simplify agape. But but going back to your toxic positivity, I went, oh yeah, I, I'd be that. I I'm really I have a very hard time sharing the harder stuff mm-hmm. because I go straight to gratitude and. But then I, I might come across superficial or fake or, oh, she's always doing so well. <laughs> well, you have to stay in the conversation with me and then ask a different question because that's going to be where I start. I'm always going to start with the cup half full. Right. If you stay in the conversation, you'll hear you'll hear the struggles, the pain, the right you know so that that was a side note which honestly that is one of the reasons i wanted to bring up the concept of toxic positivity today because i i think that you and i both karen maybe no one's ever told us this to our face but i bet you someone's probably thought that about us at one point (laughs) (laughs) that we might that we might be toxically positive (laughs) you know um and and so i just do want to kind of clarify or differentiate between what we're trying to come to the table with and what might be perceived as something that's toxic positivity. Because I I don't think that we're being toxic, toxic, toxically positive. I think that we are just making this choice to try and lead with positivity. It doesn't mean that there aren't other hard things that we don't deal with difficult stuff. I mean, just in this episode or in this conversation, mm-hmm. I've mentioned like three or four different really hard things that have happened to me in my life. Mm-hmm. And I said it all with a smile on my face because it's it, it's just a part of being a human. And yeah. But going back to the description of agape, offering agape is a decision to spread love mm-hmm. in any circumstance. So as wow. I just said, it's really wow. this choice. It's a choice. It's a decision it really that is. you make. Yes. It's, so... You have to choose it. Yes, and part of part of that is is don't uh, no part of that is seeing someone as an enemy or close to that whatever that word is a dislike for them a disdain for them a disrespect for them a distaste for them an enemy. However, agape love is, but it's not about me. It's about you. And how can I serve the better the the betterment of, of, you know, of humankind. How can I serve even if I have a distaste in my mouth? Is it even possible? And I think that agape confronts us. Can I love you with this distaste in my mouth? So going back to you and your dad, you had a distaste, Mm -hmm. but yet love conquered it because you you have a history with your dad of love. So it actually superseded the distaste and you, you, you decided agape love over distaste. Right. And yeah. Yeah, it was a decision. And and yes, it 100% was a decision because I remember when all of that was happening, I even had this moment of sitting to myself and thinking like, does my relationship with my father just need to change? Is it just different now? Because mm-hmm. this person who's I've known to be one way my entire life is all of a sudden showing like these other qualities that I'm really not cool with do I just stop talking to my father? You know what I mean? I had these like really real conversations with myself. The golf, <laughs> the, the golf course. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And, and again, it was this decision. It was decision to choose agape. 
mm-hmm. or however you're actually supposed to pronounce it. Yeah, that's really good. <laughs> well, well we go. we've gotten there through we a go. lot. Uh, as always, we we don't shy away from tough topics here. <laughs> Do that well. And as I'm sure you've all figured out for yourselves, this particular topic of these different words that existed in ancient Greek um, vocabulary about love, it's really sparked a lot of conversation. And what you all aren't hearing or seeing is that outside of these recording sessions, Karen, you and I have been having so many more conversations around like love and relationship and what that means and how we're influenced by all these different things. And I think that this is such an interesting topic and it can really get your wheels turning. It's so good. There's so much to explore here. Um, Next week, we will be talking about something else other than love because we've been sitting in this theme for a while. But, you know, we can always come back to it if it's something that people would like to hear more about. Or if you have any curiosity about the side conversations we've been having, please hit us up on Instagram or send us an email at do that well podcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear your thoughts or if there's anything that you'd like to share with us. Sorry. Thank All you. Right. See you next Bye, time. Bye, everybody. <laughs>